Welcome to episode six of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, guys. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about, go to trim forward slash Texing six. That's tr.im forward slash Texing six, which will get you specifically into this episode and the discussion area about it. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I'm just uh, juggling about eight projects, so it's pretty insane. Oh man, that sounds but, crazy. So what what are you up to now? You have um, you have one big consulting project, and then you have your uh, startup, and you said you've got some uh, stuff going on with that. I've actually got two big consulting projects. Um, I've got uh, yeah, two two, which basically like a day's worth of hours they take up every day. Right. So sort of split the day down the middle. And um, then, yeah, trying to bring this startup project to fruition. How how long have each of those, uh, have have both those consulting projects taken you? I mean, have you been on them for weeks or months or how old are they? Um, I think they're both about two to three months old at this stage with, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with a life expectancy of maybe, well, one of them, uh, you know, no foreseeable end. And to be honest, both of them no foreseeable end, which is right. which is kind of cool. So it's well, nice, but it's, it well, gets in the way of, um, you know, having having so many hours taken up to earn real money, it gets in the way of, you know, my startup, as it were. Yeah, well, the one the good thing about consulting like that is that at the very least, you know, you can pay the bills and you don't have to take a full time job, which full time jobs can take can take up even more time because yeah. then you end up commuting and, uh, you know, you just have so little time after you get home or, or whatever. But if you're consulting from home, you work your hours and then immediately when you're done working, you know, your clock and your hours, you say, all right, I'm done. I'm going to switch gears. You can just take a break and then turn around and get started on your working on your startup. So, yeah. I think if you had to, like, say, drive across the city to some job somewhere and get home at 7 o'clock or 8 after traffic, I mean, just be completely wiped out and it'd just be a lot harder to, to get much of anything done. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, I, I, have, I have all these projects I'm working on and, you know, I can't really complain about it in terms of time because I, I can do as little or as much of them as I want, I guess. I mean, obviously, I have to do a minimum amount of time to keep making forward progress. How do you juggle eight? Well, you know, okay, eight is a little bit of exaggeration because I'm cons- I'm I'm considering uh, texting like a project, so oh, yeah. which does it takes up time, you know? It's like yeah, it does. You know, we have to kind of I don't know. I mean, I can't really say I'm prepping for it, but I have to make sure that I'm paying attention to what's going on and coming up with you know interesting things to talk about or whatever. I mean, my my sort of approach is I just kind of keep my eye on Hacker News and there's like, there's like an infinite number of interesting things happening. I'm falling in love with Hacker News. Is I'm I'm really preferring it to Stack Overflow. And I know that it's not even related in any way. But I yeah. mean, I just, you know, there's there's these two techie sites that we're supposed to be using as techies. And my, you know, my experiences with Hacker News was somewhat similar to Stack Overflow. You know, after submitting a few things, I got, uh, you know, minus 16 karma. <laughs> <laughs> What did you submit? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just made a few comments here and there. And people, How do you get negative karma? I mean, that's I, I don't know. I don't know. But yesterday. <laughs> what did you ask, like, what your favorite PHP function is? And no, people no, are... <laughs> no. I just, I don't, I don't even know if I should say it. Uh, I've, there, was, there was a discussion about, um, uh, about uh, expert exchange, you know, and um, Stack Overflow. And Stack Overflow was eating into experts exchange. Right. Uh, in terms of the, the, the graph like the usage, the stats usage. And I just said, just very flippantly, you know, I said, well, if I was expert exchange, I'd be shitting myself about right now. 
Right. And it, it okay, so the first thing is I got uh, voted down minus eight on that. So I got minus eight karma for that, right? Why? For your comment or the fact that you said for the, shit? For the comment. I, I don't know. I don't know. For the comment, I think. Uh, so then because what happened was the software basically took out the two T's. <laughs> and I okay. like so it just said sheing. I see. So I then said uh, that means you know sheing means shitting. <laughs> I made a point of saying it, and then I got minus eight for that as well. Well, it, so I got minus sixteen. Well, see, I I think that's your problem. You just go around misusing the system. You're cursing on Hacker News, and you're asking ridiculously general questions on Stack Overflow. I'm just, <laughs> like, I just I just don't understand how to... to interface with with this type of system. I guess I don't I'm, know, too, like, I'm like just normal... too used to talking in normal, you know, real life. Yeah, well, just, you know, act like a normal human being, I guess. Oh. You know, just try not to curse on Hacker News. Well, I mean, I think Hacker News is, you know, after seeing what can happen on some of these other social news sites and stuff, that they can quickly downward spiral. That the, I think there's a pretty – they're keeping a close eye on um, things – getting but off topic or getting what i was say, what i was going to say was i'm sorry for interrupting you but um yeah quit interrupting me will you yeah sorry about that um but hacker news I, i'm, I'm kind of happy about it because i posted something else then you know after that thinking oh god I've, I'm, I'm being useless and, right. and a, a friend of mine makes great music uh great mix tunes so i've just posted a link to his site and it, i just called it mix tunes for power coding sessions and it's got like 78 points, you know, and it was number one on Hacker Amazing. News. Uh, 78 points for that crap? Yeah. <laughs> so my karma's gone up I... to 66 from, from minus 16. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, at least you're on a resurgence. I, I submitted a couple things that I thought, oh, people are going to love this, right? There was one, I think I brought it up in a previous podcast. It was called like, you know, 12, uh, in, I don't know, tips for design for elegance or something like that. It was, it was, a, it was a blog post, but it was also about a book. And it was, you know, the whole concept of elegance and, and design, whether it was for software or anything else. And it was really interesting. And I, I think it really made some great points. I didn't get a single upvote for that. I'm like, how is that possible? I mean, this is, this is the kind of things is like a, as, some, as a startup founder or developer, designer, or the people who read Hacker News should be thinking about. And, uh, and it's not just in terms of site design. It's feature selection. It's all these sorts of things and not a single I think person. That I, I basically think that people, you know, when you post your link, with Hacker News anyway at least, when you post your link, people go to it, and if they think it's interesting, they upvote it, right? Mm -hmm. And they just didn't think what you posted was interesting. Yeah, well, I, here's one thing I think. I, I, I was uh, just talking to a friend about this this morning. You know, things can be random. I think he said there was an example of this in um, Predictably Irrational, the, the, the book. And I, I think that in the book they said something about there was, a, there was a story about how there was these two Italian restaurants and on, on the same street and they have similar quality and similar menus or something. And, and what would happen is if one – uh, if the first patron comes by and just picks one of the uh, restaurants randomly, and then someone else comes, because he had no information, right? He said, well, I guess I'll just take the one on the side of the road, you know? And then someone else comes on and says, well, there's two, sh two restaurants. This one has people in it, so has someone in it, so I guess I'll do there. And so because of a pure random event, people started this sort of hurting behavior. And I think the post that I, that, that I just told you about, I said, that could be an example of that. Like if one or two people had clicked on it, so you went to the news section, you say, oh, there's a few people who looked at it, maybe I'll look at it. And then people would give it a, sh uh, given it a shot. But since it had nothing but my own one point for submission, I think... Um, Is that just, basically uh, like the black, the black swan theory? 
Have you heard? Have you heard this? I don't think so. The black swan theory is that you can't. That there's things that happen in life that you absolutely no one would have any information about or be able to predict. But the black, like basically, um, from what I was reading about the black swan theory, it's it's where you know talking about that black swans are just so unprecedented, but yet they're so important. Like they change the entirety of of history. They they change everything. So it it almost makes statistical analysis worthless. Because that's kind of what that's that's kind of what the the, the author is his name's Nassim Taleb and okay. Taleb or Taleb and uh, he wrote another book called uh, Fooled by Randomness which I read years ago which is pretty interesting, and yeah I mean that's the, that's the whole point I mean the whole story behind the black swan I think probably most people listening to podcasts are probably familiar with it but I'll just you know go over one one quick time and sure. uh, essentially if if everyone if the only type of swan anyone's ever seen is a white swan no one's ever seen a black swan before because no one's been to I think maybe Australia which is where or as a black swans exist or something. And uh, then you would just assume that we never have to bet against there being a white swan except until you run into one and then you're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I think that's, that's sort of the, the, the theory of the black swan. I don't know if, 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 if Nassim Taleb uh, actually coined that phrase or not, but you know, that's certainly sort of central to all his thinking. Yeah. But you know what's interesting about this black swan stuff is that they would say, well, this is a black swan, is that, it's a black swan. It's a lot of it, I think, I look at it and I go, that's kind of bullshit. Like, oh, this whole mortgage meltdown was a black swan. I'm like, that is total crap. I mean, there were tons of people who were looking at the graphs of median income versus housing prices and say, this is a complete bubble, this is going to burst. And, uh, you know, all this stuff is, you know, the way, the way they're, you know... Um, What's the name of your lady? politician, Dr. Paul or something? Well, I don't have a, I don't really have a politician. It, no, it's not your politician. I want to say you are, I mean, American people's. But Ron Paul, isn't it? Uh, okay. Anyway. Yeah, he was he was predicting this, wasn't he? He was talking about this for a long time. I th- probably. I mean, there's a lot of people who are saying that, but it's it's like if if the mainstream media, if the, if, the, if 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 the, if 95 percent of the people say aren't aware of it, then it's suddenly a black swan. Like, oh, we didn't. Nobody knew. It's like that's just crap because people who really are paying attention and do understand something about macroeconomic theory and monetary policy and and uh, you know. M- you know, real estate bubbles and things like that, and you look at the numbers and go, yeah, well, that's, you know, but pretty black, clear. The Black but, Swan would be the, you know, the new company uh, started in a garage who came along and, uh, you know, ousted yeah. Google out of business. Right, right. Well, no, it's not that there aren't Black Swan events, but I think it just gets overused. Like, in anything that, you know, the mainstream uh, of, of America or the world hadn't foreseen, which is a lot because the mainstream just believes whatever is the, the status quo, right? Yeah. And but the status quo is continually overthrown throughout history. I mean, because of technology, because of political or demographic changes or whatever they are. And the status quo is always doing its best to keep that, you know, the, the status quo. Right? And so yeah. I, I don't know. And I just think that. Um, and so if if you don't, if you're not someone who who looks into, you know, more data and more information, that that's that's just presented. That's information that isn't currently available on CNN or. New York Times or whatever, then you might be like, wow, you're as shocked as everybody else. But I don't know. I mean, there's certain things, and, and I'm certainly no economic genius or expert or anything, but I was <laughs> reading stuff in 2006 and 2007, and I remember telling my wife, I'm like, we need to sell our house now. And we did need you? To get out. We tried. We just took a little too long, and we got caught, you know, and so then we couldn't sell it. And I mean, we tried, but it just didn't work. We had it on the market okay. for a long time. And I'm sure, but it, but I was reading stuff, you know, and I was showing my wife. I'm like, you should look at this. I'd like look at the, you know, the the the, the most 
the clearest example of it was um, when they showed the graph of median income versus home prices, and you could tell it wasn't sustainable. And um, then everyone's like, oh, my God. Because I, I would tell people, you know, you should look at this stuff. And people are like, God, you're crazy or whatever. And then later, you know, and then, and then after it started to happen in 2008, people, you know, it's when these same people come to me and go, wow, man, you really called it. And I'm like, well, I didn't call it. I'm just, I just read stuff that made sense to me. And, um, you know, whatever. But anyway, back to Hacker News. Um, <laughs> so this is where, just for the listeners at home, this is where uh, we were talking about making a JavaScript applet that has a little... Uh, a little meter that sort of ticks along for how long either of us are allowed to speak in one go. Right. Okay. <laughs> that would have been useful. But anyway, I, I uh, back to the hacker news topic. I mean, you I'll know, cut that out a bit. Anyway, I'll cut that out. No, Sorry. don't worry about it. I mean, um, but it. no, what you know what? Not moving on from hacker news. What I wanted to talk about was um, this this startup that I'm doing and the phone the phone call that I've had today and the phone call I've had over the last few weeks. Which have been quite interesting about the startup. Uh, do I mm-hmm. do I need to give any sort of background on how how I got here? Or? I think you should just frame it. Uh, okay, so in the, so it's it was an idea that I well okay about a year ago uh, I was working on uh, building something that was a Twitter competitor, and from that uh, like a sort of subsidiary technology of that got me thinking about something else, and I realised that that was actually a more powerful and interesting idea. So I've been working on that, uh, mocking that up, demoing that, and then sort of creating the real-world version of that. Um, And I really want to release it and bring it to market, but what I've realized is that it's too big uh, for me to do on my own. So, you know, I've I've put like a good six months development into it, plus three months thinking about it. But it's really going to be too big for me to bring to market on my own. So I've realized I need to get funding for it, which means I need to set up a team and... um, the stage that I'm at now is I've sort of got got a potential team, and now we're, you know, negotiating. So how, now, I think we should talk about well, how did you know how you uh, found the team? Well, first of all, I went on to. Um, I mean, <clears throat> okay, first of all, was talking amongst friends, but you know, realised that none of them really had the the requisite skill set <laughs> to work on this. Right. That that was my right. first thought. So then the second thought was to just try and. Um, find people online <laughs> so uh started on the business of software forum i uh, wasn't able to find anywhere there because i just made a post and said look i've got a really good idea i'm looking for people to work on it with me and the kind of response you get is well tell me what the idea is i don't really want to say the idea you know and, uh, mm. but the people are saying well we don't want to get involved unless you tell us exactly what the idea is so and and then there's this whole discussion about you know how important is an idea versus a team etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's another thing but anyway, so I posted um, on startuply.com, which is an amazing website for basically posting and finding startup jobs. I posted okay. two, two jobs on there, and that got a, a tirade of CVs, really high-quality CVs. Uh, by CVs, I mean resumes. And from those, I started some discussions. And actually, the people I'm talking to are not, <laughs> ironically, are not anyone who responded to me with a resume. It, it was through talking to one of those people that they then put me in touch with some of these other people that I'm talking to. And then there was the fit. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole, that's one of the whole of the real lessons is you got to put yourself out there one way or another. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you just sit if you just sit in a room by yourself thinking about your idea and stuff, it's not it's very difficult to get that go anywhere. But yeah, you need need other people to work with usually, and if you go out there and just start, you know, making some noise and talking to people, stuff happens. And maybe even the people you don't talk to, right, aren't the ones who you end up working with. But you know, you meet other people, so that's really cool. So you just last weekend or something, you went up to or last weekend up to San Francisco to meet with some of these guys. 
Yeah, I went up, went up to San Francisco to meet to meet with these guys. So there's there's two separate groups. There's one <clears throat> there's one group uh, of of people who who I'm sort of thinking about working with and just coming to terms with. Who are essentially it's a group of they're, they're so, the sort of people they are is like ex McKinsey kind of guys. Right. And um, they they've got a sort of informal group where they will help people with ideas get money. Okay. And they've got a, you know they've got a huge amount of experience in their in their group. And what they do is they'll sort of work for sweat equity and they'll help you build together the business plan, the business model, and you know the market research, that whole thing, and right. put you put you in front of the right angels and and pitch with you. Wow. So um, they're they're taking that role. And then another guy I've met is because my skill set is the tech skill set. You know, I'm good at managing developers. I'm good at tech. I'm good at thinking of you know technical solutions. Um, but what I'm not good at is the, you know, the commercialization aspect, the operations. So I've been looking for someone who will help balance out the uh, the equation. So uh, an operations guy. Well, right, well, one thing I want to say that, I mean, that's actually a really interesting um, approach because usually people who are like tech founders who who are like yourself looking for someone to work with are going to try and find one other person to be sort of like the business partner or whatever. But instead, you part of what you're doing is you're using a group to kind of get you to that next point. Yeah. That next stage. Okay. You know, that's, that's only going to work with you short time. That's going to get you to the angel investment round and, and stuff. Ah, that's pretty, that's well, actually... one of them is long-term. So, so, so there's, there's one guy who I'm negotiating with to be essentially a co-founder. And then there's mm -hmm. a group who we're also working with. So it's two different, two different parties. Were they, were, no, did they have any relationship before they did. did. They, they, no, they, they did actually. They did have a relationship for me, but it's just the way that it's transpired and from our discussions is that one of these people is really interested in basically becoming my partner and working on okay. this for the next five years. Okay. And so so they've so they've kind of they've kind of um it wasn't like you found this third guy somewhere else and say and, and bringing three people together. They said, Hey, we got well, this. Well it other sort guy. of was. It sort of was because it through through startuply, um, one of the resumes I got, you know, I I made the call to the to the person. And we had we had the sort of uh, discussion, and during that discussion, they recommended both of these parties, huh. <laughs> and huh. basically said, you know, I'm not sure this is something for me right now, but here's two people you should talk to. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it sounds like I mean you've been talking for what a couple of weeks, uh, you know, actually maybe like a month now or something. Yeah, about a month. So, but what the, what I really wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, me as an entrepreneur, my expectations, you know, how much ownership. I thought I could hold on to during this process and how much, you know, when you actually get really into the nuts and bolts, how much people like this expect and, you know, what it, what it really looks like. The percentages, uh, you know, when you're negotiating the percentages and the kind of percentages that, that people talk about, it's, it's sort of different. The dream is different from the reality, you know, okay. like I need, to, like I'm at a stage where I need to make some very serious decisions. You know, I need to give up a serious chunk of the company before right. I've even got started. You know, sure. So, for example, I mean, and I've actually called up, I called up um, the the one guy who's who's sort of interested in becoming, um, you know, long term partner with me, and asked him, would it be all right if I discussed it and even got, you know, quite close to the percentages involved? And he said it would be fine, you know, for us to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the 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 guys helping to develop the business plan, um, they're looking. I'm not going to give you exact figures, but. Uh, you know, they're looking for something around the region of uh, five, the five-ish percent, 
uh, scenario. That sounds reasonable. I mean, you know, you know I, I, th I think one of the good ideas or ways to think about this is that if the people you're bringing in are going to multiply the value of the company, then it's going to more than make up for some subtraction and some percentage. I mean, I, I remember a guy who was a, a guy, a friend of mine actually, who was advising me on my uh, on my previous startup, and you know, and he was suggesting you know percentages that I should allocate for investment investment and things like that, and and I you know. You know, we were discussing it. Well, is it twenty percent, or is it fifteen percent, or is it thirty percent? And he said, "Look, Jason, one thing you probably should think about is like, you need to think in terms of factors of ten. What's going to make this company ten times more valuable? Not ten percent more valuable, or ten percent less valuable to you because some guy you brought in took ten percent of the company. So when you start thinking of that, and you quit nickeling and diming at five percent here and five percent there, it's like that." probably shouldn't be a huge focus. I mean, obviously you don't want to give away giant chunks of it for nothing, but you know, if you have to give away another few percent here and there, it's like, don't sweat it because especially if the people you're Let me tell with. you the rest of the story. All right, we'll get to it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that's, that's them, right? So then the partner, the percentage that we're talking about there is mid thirties. Okay. So, <laughs> so it doesn't take, you know, uh, an Einstein to realize that that's, you know, at least 40% of the company gone. Right. With these two people. So now right. I've got 60%, you know, approximately 60. They've got approximately 40. So that's before we've got funding. Now, is the guy, the, the guy who, the, who would be getting the 30% range, I mean, is that like automatic or that would be like vested over a period of years or what? It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be vested. And, and as a matter of fact, my own shares... Like going going down this route and to you know to make the um, the angel investors happy, my own shares will be vested as well over over a four year period. Right. Well, I guess if everybody puts in, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's fair either way, right? I mean, if you said, oh, I got this company and everybody got started and it got going and funding, and then you dropped after like six months, yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, exactly. that would be kind of unfair for you to hold on to a giant percentage of it. I think so. I think it's fine. Yeah. No. Okay, agreed. Agreed. But um, but what's interesting is then. You know, angels, angel investors, we would expect, once again, around about the 30s. So that, so in other words... Really? I, yeah. I always thought it was a little lower than that. 30%? <laughs> well, it's going to be, it's going to be 20, 20 to 30%, depending on how much money you bring in, right? Okay. But let's, let's just say, I'm just going to talk about worst case scenario. Okay. So there's, you know, as it stands, you know, 40, 60 approximately right now. Like mm -hmm. along, along comes uh, angel first, you know, seed or well, I guess first round. Uh, that's going to be say 20 to 30. So I'm basically not going to. I'm going to. I'm, I will have lost control instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, which is interesting because it's not how I had envisaged it. Um, and and what I'm not what I'm not making a very good point of is explaining why I'm considering doing this deal because I do think what what I want to say is I do think that there's tremendous value in bringing these people in because on right. the one you know like do I want 100 percent of nothing. <laughs> right. You know, or do I want forty percent of something? And I'm more likely to get it if I've got like, I mean, the the guy who who I'm talking about bringing in, you know, he has twenty years commercial experience. You know, he's worked for he's worked for all size companies. He's got a fantastic pedigree, mm -hmm. and you know, he's he's been involved in all sorts of um, you know, setting up all sorts of funding rounds from A through D. You know, and right. uh, you know, he's been he's worked for uh, three or four venture funded companies. So he's like, right. you know, it's, it's really valuable. And another thing that's interesting is that it made me think, well, you know, maybe he hasn't done anything so far, but 
you know, he will be doing a lot to build the business, but also it makes me feel like I have a partner in this. Now, I think that's a huge. Do you know what I'm saying? If he's in it for that, if he's in it for 30 plus, you know, I have a real partner in this then. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his skins in the game. He has a reason to be there. Yeah. Because if you, if you're a first time entrepreneur in this sense, right? I mean, this is the first time you're actually launching your own company, not working for a startup. Is that right? No, I mean, I've <clears throat> I've built teams before, but we ne- we didn't get funding. But that was back in 2000, um, because the bubble burst when we took the idea. That was uh, an idea called All Channels, which was basically a human moderated search engine. Um, okay. It was a lot like Moholo, uh, but okay. you know. Anyway, sir. But but my my question is that I mean you you don't have any sort of credibility in Silicon Valley or among angels <laughs> that you, you know, so in that sense, you're unproven, you're unknown, you're coming in, you have an idea and some, and, and, and technical talent. And I, I guess but it's more than you, an idea. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've got six months development and I've got proven, yeah. in fact, it's not, it's production ready code, basically, you know, okay. production well, ready system. I'm just thinking from their perspective, if I was an investor and I said, okay, so here's this guy, he's got this, some code and stuff. He has no users and, <laughs> You know, you know, and they're going to put in some big chunk of change, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, mm. to some idea and some code. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, it's probably hard to negotiate too strong of a position with uh, without that. You know, without having say launched and sold successful startups. Absolutely, so, no. You know, you're completely right. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess it's better just to you know. Negotiate as good of a deal as you can, or at least as fair of a deal. I think it's the best way. As fair a deal as you can that you're comfortable with, and then just go forward. But the part, I mean, the part that I'm taking on board, which is, you know, being the CTO, building a technical team, managing a technical team, making the product happen. I mean, I've got a career of proving that I can do that, you know. Okay, right. So it's not like I'm just, you know, a newbie coming along no, with an I, idea. No, I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you're. Uh, you know, a newbie or anything, but just in terms, of, it's like if you had sold a startup for, you know, you you you'd done well, you'd already done a startup, maybe you sold a startup to Google or Yahoo, or it, you know, made a lot of money for investors, and you could come in and, and negotiate a strong position because a, you're financially independent, you have your own cash, and you've done it before, and you could come in and say, you know, these are the terms, and you could, you know, be a lot stronger position about it. But right now, if you don't do that and you say and you come in and you want to take a really hard line or too hard of a line, then it just might not come together. And then you're stuck doing consulting work eight hours a day and, and putting just a little bit of time into it. So well, another thing know. that's interesting is how these the, the McKinsey guys, uh, they're very strongly um, opinioned about the fact that we shouldn't get dumb money. We should get money that is from people who are in exactly the right space, who can bring lots of value into the idea, basically yeah. build value. We, you know, in fact, every new thing that comes into the company needs to build exponential value. I mean, it's just as you described before. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, in fact, you know, there's a, um, a startup that I, one of my projects is a is a startup. A guy actually contacted me kind of out of the blue, yeah. and um, I'm getting a uh, percentage of equity for building a first version of the. Uh, you know, or some percentage. I, I probably shouldn't be going the details yet because I haven't really yeah. okay with him. But I'm getting a you know a chunk of equity, and I'm building the first version of this site. And the in this the CEO, the founder, the guy contacted me. He's, um, you know, he's got a number of angels lined up, and I, he's got a really you know solid business plan, and I think he knows his stuff. And um, 
you know, he, he's talked to some VCs and he's talked to some angels and, you know, he's much more interested in getting money, even if it was worse terms from the right VCs who he respects and he knows are connected. And, um, you know, I think that's probably reasonable. I mean, depending on the terms of the deal, you don't want to get a terrible deal, but you know, I, I think he's, I think that's, point of view is probably pretty valid that if you have some dumb money people who don't have any connections don't have any understanding of the business then that could hamstring you later whereas well, if you have somebody- when you were when you were um starting prezo and I, I know you got you got prezo funded mm-hmm. were you grappling with these same issues i mean did you did you have to give up a i mean i you- got really really lucky um in the sense that um it was a um the same, uh, this the same guy who gave me the advice or, or that I mentioned earlier about you know multiplying the value of your company. Um, he had been a successful entrepreneur and sold his uh, company to Motorola during the, um, you know, the height of the market in like '99 or something, and it was extremely successful. And he, just, you know, he just basically came to me. First, he was just advising me because I was going to get investment from some other people, and then he said, "Look, you know what? I tell you what. Why don't you and I just do it?" Um, I'll just take, you know, I can't even remember what it was, but it was a fairly small percentage. It was like 15%. And he, I think, you know, it was like, uh, I don't remember, like 150,000 or something like that. And he's like, you know, if you need more, come back to me and we'll just do the same, you know, we'll, you know, give you some more money. And he's just like, whatever you want to do, just do it. I just want a piece of it. And we'll just have lunch every week or two and talk over things. So it was this real kind of casual handshake thing. It's uh-huh. very interesting the the whole percentage, the whole ownership thing, the control thing. I mean, if you look at, um, <clears throat> I mean, I know it's probably a bit trite to take these examples, but if you look at, you know, Bill Gates, you know, he's got like approximately ten percent of Microsoft, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and Larry and Sergey have, you know, about eight percent each of mm-hmm. uh, Google. You know, that that's not big percentages, you know. But it, I mean, I know it's a huge amount of money, but it's interesting because you. You know, if you didn't really know about it, if you didn't do the research, you'd think, oh, Bill Bill has 51% of Microsoft, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Well, especially once these companies get big, bigger and they go public or they get multiple rounds of funding, yeah, it gets diluted down pretty quickly. But of course, hopefully it just increases the value, so you're in a better position anyway. So that's why they talk about bootstrapping, you know, and getting as, as going for as few rounds as funding as possible to bring yourself yeah. to profitability. Well, because the further you can go on your own, the more risk you remove from the picture and the, and the, um, and the, and the more risk removed, the better position you are to get more funding and better valuation. So if you come in and they say, okay, you just have an idea and it's not even a plan. And then they're going to say, well, I don't even know if you have a good, if you can come up with a good business plan, much less execute on the technology, much less execute on the operationally and all that sort of stuff. So they're like, <laughs> they're not going to give you very good terms at all. But if you're further down the pile and you say, you've got a good plan and you've got working technology, then you're in a much better position. And then if even better than that, if you have on top of that, you actually have a customer base. And on top of that, if you have a customer that's actually paying something, which is what a lot of bootstrapping startups are trying to do, it's like get to the point where you have some paying customers. You don't have to have a ton, but generate some revenue. Then you've you sort of not only figured out, you demonstrated that you have a business plan that can work, at least at some level, and then you get technology to work, and you can operate, you have some operational ability. And then at that point, all they really have to worry about is like, okay, is this business plan can it scale? Can this business scale? Can you scale it? And so you remove so many risks from the picture that you get a really good, um, 
you can get a much better position, a much better valuation. And so, but the thing is nowadays, because it's so relatively inexpensive to get something launched, it's like, why not do your best just as quickly as possible, come up with something, prototype it, get it up there, get some customers, you know, get some paying Well, customers. I'll tell you why, because in, in this scenario, in my case, I mean, basically, it, it, it is an idea and it's, it's predictable only in the sense that, uh, you know, building building the user base. But unfo- unfortunately, uh, you know, the way that this idea pans out is that it requires a lot of functionality um, to really be the right launch package. If it was launched with mm-hmm. too small a set of functionality, it just wouldn't be as successful. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people listening and thinking, well, that's a load of rubbish. If you look at Twitter, you know, that has a really small functionality. But all ideas are not equal. And I'm just saying that this particular idea pans out that way for whatever yeah, reason. Well, I, and that's why I, it needs think, funding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some ideas, right. I think there are definitely ideas like that, that just require more work to even have a minimum viable, what they call a minimum viable product. I mean, you, you know, you know, you know, my idea, you know what the startup is. So yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I would imagine that you'd have to put some work into it first. There are definitely ideas that you can have a very simple version of it and gen- generating revenue or have something that's at least useful. I, I guess the fear, the fear would be, I mean, I could, I could bootstrap it and build it. You know, I could spend another six months and release something. But if I did, what's going to happen is someone else with a lot more resources than me is basically going to commoditize this idea because it's, it's a new way of doing things. It's a sort of, it's a new paradigm in a way. And they're going to commoditize this and, and say, and, you know, I'll just be the one prototyping it and they'll commoditize it. And that's the mistake, you know. So, yeah, fair enough. I'll be in a scenario where I'll have 100 percent and I'll have taken it to market in a totally bootstrap fashion. Whereas, yeah, I mean, that's always that's always the big uh, trade off, right? I mean, release early exposure idea. It's kind of sucks or it's very basic and, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, and take the risk of someone stealing it and running past you or hold it off forever and then release it and you know, maybe you never release it or maybe uh, by the time you got there, someone's beating you to it. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a risk either way. And I guess it really just depends on kind of your appetite for which type of risk you want to take. And uh, I was going to, I was, I mean, originally, originally I was going to just build it and release it. But then after a lot of soul searching and thinking about the execution of it, I just thought it's, it's not going to work. The only way this can work is, is through funding. Well, and that, well, at the end of the day, you got to do what makes you comfortable, right? So if you yeah. do what you think is the smartest thing, and if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, you say, "Well, at that time, I made the best decision I had possible, and yeah. it didn't work out. Didn't work out. You know, it's not even if you make the best decisions. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to work out because a lot of it has to do with a little bit of luck and a little bit of timing and other things. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it all sounds reasonable to me. Um, so uh, let's let's so you, uh, sure move on. You you had some other you had some other stuff to talk about, didn't you? Because you've actually prepped for this show, and I haven't done any. <laughs> I had a little bit. Well, that's kind of the funny things about uh, yeah, funny thing about the show is like this idea of prepping for the show. You know, it's like yeah. you wonder about like podcasts, like you know, this week in tech, and I don't know, Stack Overflow or whatever these other other tech podcasts, and like what are the what are these guys? Do they prep? Do they write down things? But I feel like if I don't at least try and come up with some stuff, then you know we won't have an interesting material. But um, so my, my well, whole, has it been interesting whole, so far? <laughs> oh well, I guess we'll see. I, I you know I mean it's, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll. It's really it's not so much if it's interesting to me because uh, it's me interesting whether it was, it's just you and I, me having a chat. You know we so. we always but, find um, each other interesting. Yeah. So I but the. Uh, <laughs> And what's interesting is I was going to say is that Hacker News is like my source for information because I just keep my eye on that. And at any given time, there's like 
five or 10 or 15 stories. I'm like, that would be cool to hire about. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, but it requires some work. It's like, you got to read it. I mean, you can't just sit there and I mean, <laughs> I have, to know, some, have some idea what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't have to be an expert on those topics because obviously I can't be an expert on everything. And, uh, but we want to talk about more than just what I happen to know a lot about. Okay. Um, so, so, so what you got for me? Well, let's see. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. Well, uh, you know, one thing was kind of interesting was, um, Opera Unite. Did you read it? Did you hear about the Opera Unite where it's like a, Yeah, this a is person. like where it's turning your it's turning your web server into a web browser. And that's interesting because it is that's a new paradigm. So Yeah, so like, Opera Opera is like for, you know, it's like this marginal um uh web browser. I think you have like some one or two or three percent of the market. I don't know what it is, very, very small percentage. And but I guess it's very high quality. I've never used it, but the people who use it seem to love it and think it's awesome. And I think it's that it sort of blazed a trail and a lot of the features that you see in some of these other browsers, Opera I think pioneered. I think I read something about that months ago where they came up with a list of all the things they pioneered, like tabbed browsing is like one of the many things. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I guess uh, I guess what they did is they said, okay, so if you install this new version of their browser, Opera Unite, then you effectively have a web server, and then you can just easily share files and photos. And I think it sits on your your system, but it be- becomes just public. It becomes like a yeah, web server. Yeah, it gives you a public web web. Server, yeah. The, qu- the question I have, the one thing I didn't, I didn't get a chance to do enough research on, I mean, I read a, an article or two on it, but is the back end, is like what kind of sort of, can you do a dynamic website? Does it support like a PHP or Ruby or something? Or is it just static pages or what is it? Well, that, I mean, from what I, from the articles that I've read about it, um, I don't know about that. But what I do know is that it comes with like a pre-existing interface. And I think that you can, you can load new modules into it, but the pre-existing interface is, for example, a way for you to publish photos way for you to share publish file. text yeah share files that kind of thing i don't i don't know about whether you can run php on it or something like that i don't know okay so the question i have is you know what's the you know what's the uh, what are the possibilities for developing on top of something like that so everyone everyone has their own web server it's kind of like you know i guess BitTorrent. everybody has like a or, you know, what are, the, what are those? A BitTorrent doesn't actually work well, that but, way, right? Well, BitTorrent. I mean, I, I always wondered if it would be possible to make a peer-to-peer. So you know the way that um, we're talking about cloud cloud hosting, right? I always wondered whether it would be possible to have cloud hosting hosted on peer-to-peer network. So you know, you install something like um, BitTorrent or uTorrent or something like that. But basically, mm-hmm. by installing this thing, you're then becoming part of a cloud, and mm-hmm. you know. The, the like who the the people who set up the company pay people to be nodes of the cloud, yeah. And you have some distributed data on there, and you serve it out as it's required. So you earn a little bit of money, but at the same time, you're part of the whole network. Yeah, no, there was there, there's been stuff out that that people have tried to do. I think there was something called Popular Power back in the you know in the, in the during the bubble where you know it was sort of like SETI. You know how the SETI the SETI yeah. home works, right? You know, where yeah. you you would sort of your computer the screensaver would uh, do calculations, would donate processing cycles to yeah. to crunching numbers. So and BitTorrent is sort of similar, but it's file sharing. So you get pieces of a, a file, I guess. Yeah. But I guess the the next step is you're right. It's like you know, you actually have sort of like a piece of a cloud that does, you know, perform certain actions. But the question is, in a cloud scenario, um, what do you need? What would each sort of node have to be able to do to prov- to be productive? Well, each node is just a micro server. Like it's a real small, co- you know, it's a real small Linux kernel. It's a, you know, it's got it's got what's required. Yeah, I guess it'd be the interesting thing. It's like, okay, so a lot of times your data is in some kind of database. You know, most of these websites have some kind of a of a 
You have an, encry- an encrypted distributed database across everyone's computer. Yeah. <laughs> so I you mean, can't would... look at any of the information in it. It's just, you know. I always wonder how fast that would be. I mean, it would And you be... know what would be good about that? Oh, sorry, but you know what would be good about that would be, you know, if, for example, in this Ira- Iranian situation, right? Okay. Like if, if everyone was hosting, you know, if, if they had hosting amongst themselves and it was like what it was meshed together via their own wireless network, then it wouldn't matter whether the government cut away the internet yeah. connection. Well, I think when you, when you centralize things like cloud and clouds and stuff like that, if it goes too far in that way, then, you know, you sort of lose control. Users have less power. They have less control. And uh, I think it's better to have things distributed, not only for fault tolerance, but also for sort of uh, freedom, I guess. But, I mean, clouds you know? are distri- cloud, cloud architecture is distributed anyway. Yeah, but what I mean is if, um, for instance, uh, you know, the possibility of the government saying, okay, we're going to shut this ISP down or we're shut this cloud down or we're going to take the data. I mean, it's sort of, uh, you know, because they get some warrant or something like that, then, you know, and you get caught up in that. Whereas if stuff is distributed, there's a little more independence. Well, that's it. true. Yeah. You see, you could, you could create the first, you know, truly independent network that was hosted on people's computers. And I mean, maybe that's what they can do. You know, maybe, maybe that's what this opera unite does. You know, maybe it creates a network in that way. I mean, but maybe it, it it could go that way if they built plugins for it, kind of thing. And that would you could make, maybe you could make it work with all these new cloud databases, these sort of these hash. They they're kind of like hash databases or something. Oh um, yeah, yeah, all, like uh, SimpleDB. Like SimpleDB or CloudDB. I think there's. I, I'm really, I remember uh, there's an article I read and it was like listing to like there's like ten or twelve or even more of them now um, that have different strengths and weaknesses but they all can do things like that and it would probably work in that environment whereas if you were trying to use like a, a, a traditional relational database it probably wouldn't work so well i've got I mean, something interesting to talk about okay um it's, it's an article uh I, I can't remember where i got it from I've, I've tweeted it um entrepreneurship is not sexy I saw that title. What is that? I, I, I think I even brought it up my, and, and to read it in the tab, but I didn't get around to it. Basically, just talking about the fact that, you know, being an entrepreneur, like we have people like Mark Zuckerberg, Kevin Rose, Evan Williams, and we think, oh, they're the rock stars of the entrepreneurial world. Oh, I really want to be like that. But the truth, the truth is, if you listen to how they did it and the stories, you know, it, they're, they're not sexy stories. It's just basically hard graft, looking at stats, you know doing work every day it's like pretty pretty hardcore work getting off your butt and doing it i think that's the case with success in any field i think whether you're talking about you know you know artists or musicians or actors or athletes or business or in business or whatever i mean most of it is hard work that nobody sees it's only at the very end they go oh you know this person is like an overnight success and you love and they sort of condense down they compress down all the toil and hard work and they just talk about this last minute when they were discovered or got this big you're all this recognition and i think that's the same with startups yeah i think anything anytime you think that you can become super successful or a star with doing little to no work or by just this sort of you know effort that doesn't require the grunge work is this is a myth it's just not true and it's better to just accept the fact there's gonna be a lot of work now if you enjoy that work then it's not so bad if you Mm. like writing code or you like doing startups you like you know doing all that stuff then it's it's the journey the journey is the important part not the goal yeah, I think so. Because so then it's like, well, you know, so, I mean, one thing you you notice when you read these stories from these entrepreneurs who have succeeded is what do they do? They go back and do another one. 
because it's yeah. boring. You can only do your like victory lap so many times. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a superstar. <laughs> I mean, I went public. You know, yeah, I did an interview and I was on Ink Magazine or Time, and they think I'm a, they think I'm awesome. And then you're like, okay, you know, it's boring. It's like the Lakers. They won well, their. But what about uh, Steve Jobs? Well, what about him? What do you mean? Well, I mean, he's he's been doing his victory victory lap for the last twenty years. No, I mean he's back at doing it, right? He did Apple, and then he went, and then you know he got kind of kicked out by Scully, I think was that guy's name, and then he, and then he, what he did, um, tried to do Next Computer, which didn't quite work out, and then he, and he got back to, he bought Pixar, bought into Pixar. I mean he did different things, but he's always back into it, you know. I think, I think people who most entrepreneurs probably like to just do stuff. They like the they like the process of creation, you know. It's no. F- Fun to just create once and then spend the rest of your life talking about how you created this one thing because it's just boring. You're just sitting around mm. doing nothing. You know, I mean, there's only so many talk shows and interviews and, you know, victory laps and conference speaking engagements. You just like, you know, I'm so bored of talking about the same thing. I want to do something new. And, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, you know, so as long as you enjoy it. Because that, that was something that they were talking about on Twitter was um, like Ev Williams and the guys, the guys behind Twitter. They're yeah. talking, you know, they, they, they all came from Odeo. Yeah. So basically, Twitter was developed in Odeo, and, and Odeo didn't, you know, was basically not a success. And now Twitter is a success. And so the, what they were talking about on Twitter was the fact that they're not going to sell Twitter because it's more of a, a personal goal for them. They really want to take it all the way. They don't just want to sell it now, even if they were offered a billion. You know, they, want to, they want to take it as big as Facebook kind of thing. Yeah, well, I guess I mean, it's, 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 you know what would be the best is if they could take some money off the table. So let's say five years from now, it became the next Friendster, right? Okay. It yeah, was just on be... the ash heap history. Like it was just, oh, remember that stupid thing, Twitter, that got big for a year and a half or something? Or like MySpace is going in that direction. Maybe in five years, MySpace, so MySpace will be like you know a joke. And <laughs> Twitter, you know, you never know. So it'd be, it'd be great if these guys could each take you know, $10 million off the table or something and then say, okay, worst case. I get $10 million in the bank, and I can do startups for the rest of my life and never have to go worry about a job or paying for my kid's college or you know, be able to buy a house. They say, I'm set, and now I can just do startups. But if they, if they say, I'm not taking any money off the table, I don't have any money in the bank, everything is completely invested in, in Twitter. And if it becomes a huge success and it continues to grow, then fantastic. But there's no guarantee that Google doesn't step in and, and do something better or that Facebook doesn't. Can you take money out? I mean, can you, can, you know, I mean, so Twitter, okay, so Twitter's now valued at a billion, right, or whatever. Is it really? Uh, something like that. Or, you sure, know, it's, a it's, lot it's anyway. A, a lot, yeah, let's say a big number. And, you know, I don't think that they're earning any revenue. I don't know. But so ca- is there any way that they can turn that into I cash? I'm sure there was. I'm sure they could. I'm sure you could get, if they wanted to, this is the founders say, look, we're going to sell 10% of this company. We're just going to sell it. We're not going to get investment. We're going to sell 10%, take 100 million in divvy them up among the 10, you know, founders or all the earlier, everybody gets to walk away. In worst case, they know. Facebook did that, didn't they? They sold, Facebook sold a percentage to Microsoft. They did. Well, that's, I don't think that's a bad idea because otherwise, I mean, from a risk perspective, I think it's very risky. I mean, you can think you're, you're, you're awesome and your product's awesome and you're going to conquer the world. And right now, Twitter is really is white hot and everybody's talking about it, da, da, da. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen in three or four or five years from now. And um, I don't know. <laughs> Microsoft, Microsoft paid $240 million for a 2% stake. See, that's just in Facebook. I mean, so um, company the, the, the values the company at $15 billion. Yeah, I mean that's nice. It's like they know. I mean it's it's one thing it's one thing to uh, shoot for the moon, shoot for the stars, but it's, why not put a little bit 
in your back pocket just in the worst But case. does that go to um, Zuckerberg? Or, I mean, I doubt it. I mean, I would have thought that's just reinvested in the company, right? Well, it depends. I mean, you can you can sell shares in a company or you can take investment. You can sell your personal shares. So what you're saying, I, Mark Zuckerberg said, okay, I want some money, so I'm going to sell 2% of my shares. It probably depends. I mean, it really depends, I think, on the sort of the company structure and what people are allowed to do based on the, um, you know, the operating agreement or whatever it's called. LLC, it's like an operating agreement. I can't remember what it's called in like a, um, a, a C Corp or whatever. But uh, I'm, I mean, my guess is that you can sell shares if you want to, but there might be, re- there might be sort of uh, stipulations in the, in, the, um, in the agreement that they can't do it. But um, I know Paul Graham had talked a lot about, he wrote an essay about that about a year or two ago, which I thought was interesting, is that, you know, let's say you have some, you know, these two or three founders, they're broke, they've been living on ramen noodles, living in their parents' garage or whatever, working on this thing for a year, they get a funding for a million dollars, you know, or whatever, why not allow the founders to take some piece of that, not just have it reinvested and just personally take it off the table so that it can at least live reasonably well. And I think I saw some articles that some other people were talking about that recently, but I don't think that's a bad thing because when people are too hungry and they're too uncomfortable for too long of a time, I think they make they probably don't make the best decisions. They're going to burn out, right? They can burn out, but you just probably don't make the best decisions about, you know, it's like when people are panicked or too uncomfortable, I mean, in, to the extreme, they definitely don't make the best decisions. But yeah. if you're like, ah, you know, I can't even afford to, 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 you know, pay my car insurance or I don't have medical insurance or I, you know, it's just like, it's one thing to just like the myth of it, like doing that and say, oh, we're all going to suck it up and live, you know, really streamlined. And you can do that for a while, but I think after a while, it really starts to wear on you, and you want and you want the founders to be in it long term. You want it to be sustainable. If you have these, if if the if the operation of the company requires you to live off you know junk food and ramen noodles and not have health insurance and work fourteen hours a day, I mean that's not sustainable over any length of time. No, you're not going to feel great about it. I mean that's similar to um, that's similar to record label deals. Then I guess. Yeah. You, you know where, say- you, where you just hardly reap any money. I mean you talk about you know Rob. Robbie Williams gets you know twenty million advance, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't see any of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like well, he only gets that. Yeah, Sorry. you know, I, I think. Um, oh, I was uh, I, anyway, but I had an idea, but I, I can't re- I can't remember it. But um, yeah, I, I think if you if you oh here here's this. I think my dad had told me this a long time ago, and it's it's a good good point, which is this: if if you have if you are too happy about your deal. It means that you kind of got a better deal than the other person. It's probably end up not being a good deal for you, because if the other person once they realize they're screwed or they're uncomfortable, they're not going to want to be in the long term. It really diminishes the value of the deal usually. And so if the investors are like, yeah, you know, I got these founders, I've invested this money in them, and boy, they really they're living streamlined. I mean, they're living off almost no, you know, uh, salary, and you know, it's like you might feel good about that, but in the end, the founders are, are over a period of time might become resentful and might they're be going to get resentful like, and do something else and find yeah, a way to get out of it. Like, basically, after a certain amount of term, they're just like, this sucks. Like, you know, I'm broke. I've been broke for too long. It might be a big deal, but at a certain point, well, that's you- what I was thinking about in negotiation with with this guy. You know, I mean, all you know, although. It seems like a really big chunk to give 30 plus percent at this stage of the business. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, is he in it or is he in it? Like, let's say it was 10 percent. He's not really in it then, is he? No. Then, uh, then it's not. Then it's not like a, he's not like a true partner. So then he'll be he'll be resentful two years down the line. Yeah, you know, I remember my very first startup. I brought in um, a friend of mine, and uh, it was after I'd had already had formed the idea and built a prototype and had funding. 
and I could have said, hey, you get 30% and I have 70% or, or at least of the non-investment shares, you know, or, or something. I have 60 of 40. I'm the big, I'm the big partner. You're the little partner kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But I, it, I just thought, I said, you know what? It, to me, it didn't matter that much. I want him to be my partner. I want him to be in this with me. I don't want him to think, oh, this is Jason's idea and his thing. You know, maybe I can make some money off it or whatever. And I want him to give it his all. So I said, oh, let's just be equal partners. Let's do this thing. And it was fine. It worked out. Hmm. You know, I'm glad I did it because he was the quality of person that I, you'd want in your venture. I mean, he was just a super talented and extremely committed person and is, you know, a really good friend of mine. So I was happy to do that. And it was very early stage. It's not like I had worked on the thing for six months. I had spent two or three night, two or three months on weekends and nights building a prototype and raised some investment funding. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know what advantage that would have given me in terms of what I could have wrung out of it, but I don't know. I hate, you know, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it because I hate negotiating. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm yeah, not a good too. negotiator. I don't want I'm actually the worst negotiator in the world because if anyone says to me, you know, this, I'll say, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I don't, I don't do the whole haggling thing. It's just like, yeah, whatever. It, that's that's what, why the, I should never negotiate the, for my company. <laughs> the best, I, I, the only way that I found that I'm able to get a really good deal is if I have multiple options. So if I have like only one option, someone I'm negotiating with, whether for whatever it is, and you know, it's just to say, well, I don't think that's fair. I think you should pay me more. I get a higher percentage or whatever I'm negotiating about, or should, you know, this should cost less. It's just, it's just a bad conversation. It just sucks. But if you say, look, you know, I have three other options here, three other investors or three other places I can buy this car or three other, you know, uh, banks I can borrow this money from or whatever, you know, it is, or I have three other clients who, who pay me at a different rate. It's easy to say, look, it's not, it's just simple economics, right? I mean, I'm not, I, I, I have a better deal here. So if you want to meet that dealer better, then I'll do it with you. Otherwise I have to consider these other ones. And it's very simple. People don't take it personally. It doesn't become like this sort of, you know, pissing contest. It, people don't get angry. They're like, Oh, okay. Yes, there are other options. The, 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 the market is here. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so the, the best thing you can do if you don't, because there's some people who are just born negotiators. They just love negotiating, bluff and do all this crap and strong arm things. And for them, maybe they don't, they can just bluff and they don't need other options to negotiate. I don't, I'm not like that. So I'm like the best thing I can do. And I think I'm probably, I'm probably more people are probably like me than are like these super hard ass negotiators. They're probably much more, they'd be much more comfortable, much more successful if they went out and said, all right, I'm going to go get three or more bids on whatever it is that I'm trying to negotiate. And then I can find out what the, I get a better under, better estimate of what the true market value is. Yeah. And I can find the best option. But if you only talk to one person, then it becomes a sort of philosophical argument of what they deserve versus what you think they deserve and what they Yeah. And I think that's good advice. I think you've just come up with some good advice there, actually. Yeah. So, um... The, I get, you know uh, what they would talk about is the, the, the texting, right? So yeah. let's just do a little navel-gazing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we do a little navel-gazing. We, we've been trying to avoid it, but I think it's worth talking. We've done five episodes. It's worth talking yeah. about a little bit. So I've, had, I've talked to a few friends of, of mine who seem to be enjoying it, and, and that's pretty cool. And uh, um, one thing is we, we, you and I have talked about oh, is, the, is the name, texting. Right? Yeah. And I want to be really curious, I mean, if we get some feedback on this and what people think of the name. I mean, so the name, the name, the way we thought of the name is you said we need, we need a name that, that, that has a zing to it, right? That's what you said. Yep. And we, it's a technology process and it has a, it has a zing to it. And I'm like, all right, what about tech zing? And you're like, cool, let's do it, <laughs> right? And I yeah. was like, so we kind of like tech zing, okay. And I remember 
you think, okay, that sounds kind of cool. And I kind of walked in the room and asked my wife, I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, it sounds great. And, uh, and we, and then we came, we each came up with like a handful of other ones, but they were just kind of really generic sounding and really kind of blah. So we just said, all right, screw it. We get tired of thinking about it. Right. Yeah. It's just like, eventually you're just relieved. It's like, okay, it is what it is. I don't want to think about it anymore. You know? Well, because I remember you you came up with Tech Launch as well. I mean, I didn't. No, come no, up with no. Any... It wasn't Tech Launch. It was Launch, it was launch tech. tech. Okay, I didn't come up with any names for this. You came up with Launch Tech, and also you came up with the Tech Zing. So I basically went to to my wife and I said, "Hey, honey, which one of these do you think sounds good? Launch Tech, Tech Crunch, or Tech Zing?" <laughs> and she said, "Tech Crunch. That's fucking stupid." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it just goes to show you too that. May, you know, that's the examples of like maybe the name doesn't matter that much, right? Yeah, you, you know, don't hear they're, they're pretty big. Tech, you don't hear anyone talking about how TechCrunch is a stupid name. It's just a name of a, of a huge. People you know. forget about the name after a while, you know. Yeah, so like I've I've stopped thinking about it as much, and I, but you, you know, well, you sound like you're still a bit concerned. Do you no, really no, hate no. it? I just it's interesting, right? We because we, we we kind of were unsure about it. You know, kind of put it out there, and then you kind of get some feedback, and some people were were like liked it, and some people didn't like it. And some people said, you know, it just doesn't matter; it's fine, whatever. So, I'm just be curious what people so think. So why do you want... bring it up? Are you bring it because you want you want to get feedback from people I, to I'm say curious. whether they think we should change it? Okay, should we change it, uh, dear listeners? Should we change it? And if so, what should we change <laughs> dear it to? Dear listeners, <laughs> <laughs> if you think the name sucks, yeah. tell us. If you think the name is great tell us and if you think it's kind of whatever it doesn't matter let us know you know i mean it, i my my feeling now is that yeah we can always change the name and rebrand just you know we don't it's not like we have that many listeners or that big a deal but yeah. it might just not make a difference at this point it might be fine you know it's not like it sucks so bad that you know you have people who refuse to listen to it because they hate the name so much. But I like i like the fact that texting sounds like a 14 year old thought of it like it's kitsch it's almost like so kind of stupid that it goes to the other level where it becomes kind of cool. You know the way kitsch is, <laughs> kitsch is cool? <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like it's going to be on a cereal box or something. Yeah, exactly. It's like lollipop, it's ridiculous. The zing, lollipops. So we have our own lollipops. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So what, what other uh, tech podcasts do you listen to? Oh, um, <clears throat> well, I'm getting into the Stack Overflow one. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Twit one I really like. Uh, my favorite podcast is No Agenda, but that's it's not really tech, right? But I just I just love it, just listening to those guys chat. Right. What else? Um, uh, Venture Voice. Um, I think that's it, really. I used to listen to Venture Voice a, year, a couple few years ago, but he started getting off like the tech startups and getting all these sort of things that I just didn't care about. So right. I kind of got lost interest in it and uh well what do you listen to what's your favorite ones well i like i stack overflow is probably my favorite um how come you like uh, it i'm sorry what'd you say how come you like it well i mean joel spolsky is interesting jeff atwood's interesting it's usually they they talk about interesting stuff i guess you know um i like twit sometimes sometimes it gets kind of boring um but generally i like it i like cranky geeks i like john c dvorak i think is hilarious so he's yeah, a cranky old guy he's, he's like he'd be like your favorite uncle like he, he'd be like, all right say something <laughs> you, know, you just want to like you just want to like what do you think of this uncle john and he'd be like ah oh, that's just well because his favorite thing you know what he'd say hookers <laughs> that's his favorite thing to do he brings yeah. up the word hookers yeah yeah I, if I there's just, dead air he just says hookers yeah he's just uh, i find him entertaining he's he's you know, strong opinions, just, you know, I find entertaining and, uh, 
whatever. But and I, I also like the Web 2.0 show. Uh, so because they they interview, you know, pretty interesting startups most of the time. Yeah. But you know, and so when I think of Texing, it's like, well, what are we trying to do? And I think there's an element of the Web 2.0 show, and that we, you know, there's a part of it that we want to like talk to some interesting startups. And there's an element of sort of Stack Overflow where you and I might talk about a variety of topics. And, you know, like this show is, and there might be an element of Twit where we could we could try having on multiple guests. And I've talked to a few people who said, ah, oh, you know, I think a lot of people. It's kind of interesting. I, I guess I don't have enough of a sample. Really, I, yeah. I, we need to talk to more people because just because I've heard of two or three friends what they thought, and they've each listened to maybe well, hand, you know two. The or thing three that episodes. I liked most was the idea of us not doing very much work. So, in other words, we just call each other and have more of a no agenda type of discussion about tech. Um, but it, <clears throat> then, then we then we brought on um, Peldy mm-hmm. and um, some of the other guests, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I really like the idea of bringing guests onto the show. You know? you know, I think we should mix it up. I mean, some people talked about doing a segment, you know, but that just mm. sounds like too much work. Like, okay, we have a guest on for a segment and then we do yeah. other stuff. I'd rather like, I'd rather sometimes have guests on if we can find, if we can get someone interesting who's uh, to come on the show. And if we don't have anything lined up, then we just try and talk about some stuff that's relevant. So it would be great know. if the people listening to the show could recommend guests that they would really like to hear and that they think would sort of suit the show because it'd be great to get guests on to talk about themselves but also to just sort of generally talk with us about tech yeah like we like peldy had you know you know we've talked about having him on again just to talk about variety of topics not just to tell a story because we've heard his story and yeah people, just to be another voice on the show yeah i mean he's an interesting guy he'd have an interesting perspective he's you know he's smart he's he's you know He's pretty fun to talk to, I think, and uh, I think totally. I'd like to have him back on. And I think we were lucky to have Mom because you just happened to have a, a somewhat of a, some kind of a relationship with him because you were one of his early users. Yeah, just so. basically sort of bludgeoning him on the support forum. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great. How to win? How was it like? How to win and influence friends or something? Like I actually that? spoke to a few, a few people who listened to the the podcast. Friends of mine said, "Man, you were a bit hard on him, you know." Yeah, you should. I was. Yeah, you know, I'll have to just try not to do that in the future. Well, I don't know. He 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 seemed to be pretty uh, good natured about it. I mean, he. I mean, I think he really did a. It was nice of him to come on because uh, at the, at that point we had so you know a hundred listeners or something like that. And oh, I think less. Yeah, so, so now we've had. I guess as of today, we've had over about sixteen hundred downloads. Yeah, which and is I, good. Yeah, which is after two weeks, it's not too bad. A little over two, two and a half weeks. And I think his his episode four where he was on was the biggest. We had like six hundred and it's six hundred approaching six hundred and fifty yeah. downloads. And the most recent one, the the one about uh, you had me at Erlang has like four fifty or something. So that's kind of picking up steam. And mm-hmm. uh which which we you and I were both a little concerned about because it didn't we didn't feel like it was quite as it went quite as well as the Peldy interview. So but it's lucky that seems to have People still found that interesting. Well, that's what we hope. So, everybody, <laughs> this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to make this as interesting as possible. We're yeah. trying to have fun. We're trying to keep it um, sustainable in the sense that it doesn't require so much work that that um, that we're not able to do it because you know we each have multiple consulting contracts and startups and stuff. So, we're going to do our best to keep it uh, keep it interesting. I, th- I mean, I do think that on some level, our, given that we are entrepreneurs and we're basically you know trying to build startups. You know, you've you've currently got seven projects on the go, and I've got three. I think our own story. I mean, I know it's a bit nasal gaze, gazing a little bit, but it is interesting, especially if we fail or if we succeed or whatever. You know, just sort of maybe if we could check in on a weekly basis and say, yeah, you know, this is how that that project's gone along. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
I think so. So, well, why don't, so we don't overdo it on that. Let's, uh, let's cover some quick topics. I think maybe we should do is go kind of quick over a handful of topics. I got, I've got a topic. Okay. Well, let me, let me do one here. Let me do okay, one. Sure. I got, I got one right. Okay. So Derek Sivers wrote a pretty short article, something like too many choices are to, if you have too many, if a user has too many choices, they're 10 times less likely to buy. And okay. Derek Sivers is at Sivers.org, and he's, I don't know, I mean, he did, he did a, a website called, or a, a company called CD Baby, and I think he ended up selling it, and I, it sounds like he's doing a handful of things, but he's, his articles or his blog posts keep showing up on Hacker News like every few days. He keeps writing really interesting stuff, and one thing he talks about in, that, in, this, um, in this blog post was that if you present too many users, uh, too many options to a user, and they're not sure what they want, that's sure what they're looking for, they're you're ten times less likely to buy, right? So yep. if you give them a handful of choices, they'll they'll be like, okay, I can make a decision. But if you give them like you know twenty or thirty choices, they're just be like, I I don't know. You overwhelm them. They're intimidated. They just they procrastinate. They say, I'll come back later. Give them like, oh, you got three choices. I just written. No, I totally agree with that. I really like the idea of the um, <clears throat> the free, the mid range, and the enterprise. Right. And then the other thing was interesting, as opposed to like picking out tons of options, right? Okay, we have 15 options. Configure your own thing, your own solution. And people are just like, well, screw it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't know. be bothered. I don't, want, I don't want to do any work. I don't want to configure anything. <sighs> don't I just want to buy think. something. Don't, the guy wrote that website design thing. He was like, don't make me think. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. applies. Don't make me think. I'm like, uh, and I'm depressed. I got like too many options. I can't decide <laughs> if this uh, one thing. Um, you know, and the other aspect of it is is that if if a user knows exactly what they want, like they're going to get Chinese food, then a, a, a menu that has a bunch of different possible items on it is fine. It makes them it's fine. But if they don't, not 100 percent sure, they're not really sure what they want. It's just frustrating. So I thought that was really cool. That was like a good thing to think about. Um, it must depend on this on the the market you're in. It must depend on the software as well, because certain certain software, certain products you know, does lend itself to being sliced and diced in different ways. Yeah. I guess, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like everything. There's always exceptions. You know, you always yeah. have to like, there's no, there, there are very few rules that this is always true, but it's, it's probably something that um, entrepreneurs need to keep in mind when they're, uh, when they're designing their product or their service or whatever is don't make it too complicated. You, you know, even if it's like you think you're doing the user a favor by giving them too many options. I mean, that's what Apple does. They don't give you a whole lot of options, right? comparatively yeah. and they're just like there's one way to turn off the computer it's not like 15 ways to shut it down like windows or vista and people just get frustrated yeah um the uh another was interesting there's an article called the firefox kid about blake ross he was like one of the two original i think coders of uh, firefox okay browser. and uh it's really interesting um you know it's like uh how he started doing this like i think he he, he he just, I think he was, he's still in high school, right? And he's yeah. only like 20 now. He's doing something called Parakey with Joe Hewitt. Hewitt, I think is his name. Joe Hewitt did, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, did Firebug. He created Firebug, which... I love Firefog. Firebug. Firebug. Firebug, yeah. Well, let's get back to that. One thing else about Firebug, though, is uh, that is like the most useful tool. I, I, I'm still frustrated that there's not something like that for um, uh, Chrome, Right or these other things. I mean, or even, I mean, I for IE you can use like the script debugger or something, which is kind of frustrating to use in comparison to Firebug. And uh, yeah, I just wish there was like one like you could use Firebug on all these different browsers. Yeah, yeah, just with the exact same functionality. I mean, maybe there's some tools. I'm sure. I'm sure some of the developers out there might have like said, okay, well, you can use 
there might be some solutions around that. But what I do is I, I tend to debug, I tend to develop in, in, in Firefox because I can use, you know, um, Firebug for all my debugging. And then I always check, without going too far, I always check and run it in IE and make sure. And, and if I have run any problems, I, you know, use script debugger to go through and, and, and you, cause you set breakpoints and watch and all that stuff. I've just searched for, for Fire, uh, Firebug for Chrome on Google. And number three is uh, a link that someone posted in Hacker News. Can I has Firebug in Chrome, please? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, it's fresh. It's like, you know, why can't they release it? I mean, maybe they will. I mean, Chrome is new, but hopefully they'll come up with something. You know, another yeah. thing is, um, oh, well, let's go back to um, to the whole, um, what's his name? Blake, Blake Ross, is that his name? Yeah, the Firefox kid. So he's a high school kid, and he starts this thing off. And it's just like he wanted to create a new web browser because I guess his mom, I think it was something because his mom was complaining about the browser and security stuff and pop-ups. And so he, that was just his impetus for working on it. And he just started working on the, the open source Mozilla code base and, uh, you yeah. know, and whatever and, and really took off. And um, I think, you know, it's just a good example of like you don't have to necessarily start out to make money. You know, that, that doesn't have to be your goal at first. You just start to make an impact. Just try to make something cool. Try and solve a problem. You know, yeah. you don't even have to have a plan. Am I going to give this away? It's going to be open source. I'm going to give this for free. And sometimes the business will come out of it. I think Matt Mullenweg with WordPress is kind of like that, right? Yeah. And, you know, and it's like he, he starts WordPress and, or he starts working on this stuff and evolves into WordPress and it's open source. And then they start automatic. And, you know, now he's, you know, got a successful company. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's an interesting approach. It's not to just to think like, what's going to make money? It's just solve a problem. And I think Phil Graham talks about that a lot. I would not feel Paul Graham. I, I think that's really good advice. You know, but because um, you, you're, you're helping out this uh, high school kid, right? I mean, and he's coming up with an idea and you're sort of <laughs> mentoring him. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, one, one of the blogs that I've got is um, Startup Ideas and I just... We, we spoke about this in an earlier podcast, basically, because I just keep on thinking of so much stuff and I, it sort of takes over my brain. So to sort of exercise it uh, as, as in an exorcism, I just posted onto this site called Startup Ideas and anyone can use them. And I got approached by this one 16-year-old kid from Ukraine. And uh, he's he's just, he's so into it. Like, oh, he's, he's in the Ukraine? I didn't even know he was in the Ukraine. Yeah, he's working, he's working on, uh, you know, one of these ideas. And uh, well, actually, he's not working on one of those ideas. He's like we we then he then basically got in touch with me. We had a discussion, and based on that discussion, we came up with another idea. And he's working on that, and he's going f just full guns for it. Like he's totally into it, and he's found you know another 16 year old guy to help him code it. And you know he's he's designed it, he's mocked it up, he's doing mind maps. Yeah, because like, you got him to use the mind mapping tool. So he might he did a he did a mind map of the whole. <laughs> Site yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I suggested to, I suggested that he might because obviously in the first place, his ideas were a bit unstructured. So I thought that it would be useful for him to use mind mapping tool. Uh, well, you, mind. the mind map you sent me was unbelievable. What did you think I about mean, it? it was so well, you know, I mean, I can't say I studied it for twenty minutes, but I mean, I looked at it for a few minutes. I'm like, it was so um, detailed and thorough. I mean, it was like this. You know, he just started doing it like a day before, and it was fantastic. Yeah, basically, he he'd mind mapped out his his architecture and his code libraries. And, um, has he ever built anything of any size before, or is he just? I don't. Uh, not that I'm aware of. No. See, this is so, his first day about project. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then you had him mock it up using Balsamic, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, just a real quick aside. I also got this uh, this entrepreneur that I'm working with. Uh, he um, 
he was mocking up some some uh, screens for me to 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 work on to code up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, dude, you know, you're drawing stuff in like Photoshop or whatever you're doing. Use Balsamic, and so he's like, so I went and looked at it, and he's like, oh yeah, this thing's awesome. So Peldy, <laughs> yeah, Broke that is up, the buddy. first reaction Respect everyone has word. to it. It's like, oh my god, this is the tool I've been looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fantastic. But the mock-up that this kid did that you sent me looked great too. I mean, so he's learning how to use these tools, and yeah. it's just. It's just fantastic. I mean, one thing I want to say is that it's just, you know, the best way to learn, I think, for most people, you know, probably is to have like a project that you're really crazy about, you're really interested in, right? So, yeah, so what what this kid's creating is, because basically after our conversation, I, I basically, well, during our conversation, first one, I was like, you know, the best kind of business to start is one where you have a really big problem, you know, and you need to solve that problem. And, uh, and I, I basically said, it looks like the problem that you've got right now is you want to find other 16-year-olds to start a business with. Right. And he's like, yeah, that's that's my biggest problem. That's my problem. That's what I, I do have that problem. <laughs> so I'm like, right. well, why don't you start that? You know, there's a great business for you. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so what did you call it? Uh, biz teen. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I would say is like, and I, and I mentioned this before, but I, I, I just want to uh, bring this up one more time because I think, I think it's worth thinking about is yeah. the idea of the site. I think the idea is really cool. I think it could work, but I'm, I, I still question the idea of being a business focused as opposed to like a project focused where you could say, I'm going to do a project, you know, like this, like X, right? I want to do a project. I want to create a Firefox extension. I want to create an iPhone app. I want to create a social network. I want to create a whatever, you know, and you can in the description or have a link say this is a business idea. This I want to make this a business, or you know I want to make this open source, or I don't really I have undeclared. I don't you know whatever. Let's just build something cool because Blake Ross is a perfect example. Like if you said hey we're starting a business, he wasn't looking to start a business. He was just looking to solve to a cool problem. And I just wonder, and I just think this is something that's worth debating. Is I just whether- think that Blake Ross is is like one in a million. I think that most teenagers want to feel like adults so they need they need marketing um <clears throat> and they need a, like a, a branding concept that's going to make them feel like yeah you know I, I, i'm just I, starting a business i'm getting involved in starting a business and this is the same feedback i got from both of these 16 year olds who are coding this thing I, and when i, I when i, I suggested the project idea they were just like nah, it's not interesting i think i i you know like i said it'll be, would it be interesting to see what our, what our, how this evolves and what are and what maybe even some of the listeners think i mean i think that's wrong i mean even if that's what you think and they think i think there's a huge number of kids out there who are in high school or you know whatever college or whatever age they are who are, who want to do interesting stuff want to build stuff aren't so interested in doing a business they might not necessarily want to commit to a business they don't they, you know they're at school they got they're preoccupied with school and and, and, and extracurricular activities or whatever kind but they still want to do something else that's cool. And they'd like to make yeah. an impact, they like to learn something. But if it's business focused, that might be like a real kind of turnoff. Like Blake Gross is an example. Someone might have been like, eh, I don't want to do that. Or maybe Matt Mullenweg, when he, I think he was pretty young when he started doing this stuff. You know, if you said, hey, you know, you know, it's all about business, he might have just been like, you know, I don't know, I'm just trying to break something cool. And then later evolves into business and that's fine. And- yeah, but he, he didn't want, like, he specifically, like, okay, to, to, to show you what I mean, the footer of his email explains it all, you know. It's, it says on the footer of his email, every email he sends me, the founder and CEO of bizteen.net, you know. That's, that's what he wants. That's, that's, that's his dream. I mean, it's great. I mean, and there might very well be a large percentage of the people want to make it a business and not just make it a project. 
You know, they might but say, it, look, I want to make money off this. I want to be a CEO. I want to do it. And, and that's really cool. I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I, I have no problem with the but idea. But they can start making, a project on bizteam.net. I mean, like, but I think it makes it a misnomer. I think it'd be better to have it a name where it's like some of the projects are business oriented. Some of them aren't. Whereas like, I think one of the things you were talking about is like, well, you could have a t-shirt company or this company. And it's like those kind of things, projects don't seem really like applicable to this. It's like you should right. – they should be like more you know, software technology oriented where it's either – it doesn't have to be a business. It can be just a project or it can be a business, but it's ultimately software technology as opposed to say it's a business. It can be technology or it can be like a t-shirt company or something or a lemonade stand. It just but seems it, to be – But if that's – I mean if, if he if – he, if he loses his passion, if, if it changes its focus, he loses his passion, the whole thing drops steam, then it doesn't go anywhere. So no, then, I'm not, look, I'm not saying... Do you know what I'm saying? I'm so, not, like, not saying he's passionate years. about this, so... I, I think, he, you know, number one thing, he needs, to, he needs to do what he's excited about. That's what it's all about, right? It's about having yeah. fun, learning something, and if he can create something of value for the world, for other people, then fantastic. And if he can create, make money of it, and make, you know, that's even better, but... Um, well, he, I'm you know what saying, he said to I me. That's the case, huh? You, you know what he said to me. Actually, on this on this topic, because when I told him your idea, he said, "You know what? That could be the second website because we'll make the we'll make a framework. <laughs> we'll make a framework, and then we can just reskin it as the project one." Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there and say <laughs> I, that's my thought. I we'll see how this evolves. I'm putting my marker out there. I think. Okay. I think they should. I I think it should be. Not business focused, but business. You can be like, oh, it's a checkbox, or it has like a dollar sign. This project idea is a business, you know. And maybe bit, maybe this their thing is a business, but I would, I, I think it would potentially turn off a lot of people who might want to do stuff, but they're like, nah, I don't have time. I don't really want to get involved in business, but they wouldn't mind collaborating on a cool project. That's well, my you thought. Could, I, you, you, you could also say that uh, you know the word teen in there in there is going to turn off people. I think that's will, potential too. I think yeah. I wouldn't call it a teen. I wouldn't take teen, and I wouldn't call it biz. I think it's the wrong name. I call it some kind of like, you know, project <laughs> something or some kind of you know whatever name because yeah. you're just talking about is it. like kids want to feel older. Well, they probably don't want to be called teen. Teen makes them feel like hey, I want to get beyond teen. You know? Yeah, that's. That, I mean, that there's there's uh, validity in that. I have to agree. Um, but th I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, we'll, we'll see how this evolves, right? I mean, businesses evolve. Hey. Sorry hey. about that. Skype just cut off. Anyway, I was just going to – just to finish that one thought, as I was going to say, the great thing about businesses is that they're hypotheses. So we'll find out what the right thing is. And if, 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 if these guys are really excited about it and um, they'll give it a go and if it needs to evolve, they'll evolve it. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's I think it's awesome that you're mentoring these guys. I think it's really cool that, that you got them working on this. I think it will be great for them. What's really funny is they <clears> – <throat> They've got. They said it's going to be launched and out the door before we go back to school. So they've got this two-month timeline to get the entire thing done. And they've Perfect. got the they've got the alpha phase, the beta phase. <laughs> That's great. The post beta yeah, no, I, phase. I, I think it's great. You you they give it a really you know a really finite period of time, so they got to get something done, so it just doesn't get crazy. They got you to mentor them and kind of guide them a little bit, give them introduce them some some tools and things that they should do. And um, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's great. But I mean, like, <clears throat> I wish I I. Like even the code that I've seen from from this guy so far, you know, I wish I could code that well when I was, uh, you know, 25. Yeah. <laughs> He's coding so well at 16, it's unbelievable. If anyone who's listening to this um, has anything they'd like us to discuss, uh, just send an email to podcast at techzinglive.com. Um, also, if you know, and if if you know anyone who you think would like this show, 
we totally appreciate it if you could send them a link to textinglive.com uh, where you can listen to the show on demand or you can subscribe via iTunes. Okay, so I think we've come to the end of this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think you, I'll leave it for you to say, all right, that's a wrap. We're out. Uh, welcome to episode seven of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. It's episode six. Is it? Is it really? Mm.